Hey, I'm Catherine, the host of Weld Recruiting's Women in Web3 podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mike Audi, better known in the Nashville scene as Tiki Mike. Unfortunately. Mike, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, Mike, it's great to have you here. Yeah, super, super pumped. Thanks for inviting me. All right. So Mike, tell um, the people out there, what is Tiki? That's the company you're building. Yeah. We're building infrastructure for consumer data licensing. And so um, you can think about it very similar to how you buy and sell like land or property. When you trade land and property, there are paperwork that makes that all possible. Or say you're using Stripe for checkout in your company. There's tools and infrastructure in place to make sure that the person who agreed to it actually agreed to it. It's authentic. The person who's using it doesn't break that contract. And we facilitate and make all of that possible, but at really high volumes because, you know, trillions of, you know, data points flow through everybody's computer every second of every day. And so we make data licensing for consumers, which allows people to get value for their data, rewards for their data, and companies to use data ethically, transparently, and efficiently. You said it best to me one time. He said, um, think about a car. It's yours and you own it. So if it sells, you get the money for it. Right. So same thing with your data. Um, it's your data. You own it and you should be rewarded for it. Exactly. And so we make it so you actually legally own your data. Right. That's the first step is we create a title record of who owns what data on the Internet. And then out of there, we allow you to create licenses and say, I'm licensing Netflix, my watch history for them to do X, Y and Z with it. Gotcha. Now, Mike, when did you start Tiki? Uh, two years ago, uh, almost exactly two years ago. So it would have been December of 2020. And you started Tiki actually in Boston, but you relocated to Nashville. Tell us when you relocated to Nashville and what prompted you to move to the Music City. Sure. Yeah, I mean, technically it was in Boston, but it was in the middle of COVID. So everybody was remote. And so we built our team all remote. We were remote. We raised some money and then we wanted to pick a home. And I felt very strongly that I didn't want to build Tiki in Boston, which is where I built my last business. Um, and so then it was like, where do we want to go? And I had thrown out Nashville to the team and the team surprisingly jumped on it. And so, you know, we flew down November, um, just under one year after starting the company, we had raised a pre-seed, um, flew down, looked at some office space, and moved in, in December. And now he's in downtown Nashville. We are. Um, Mike, tell me about the impetus for the idea of Tiki. Yeah, um, it goes way back, like probably about a decade now because I'm getting old. But um, I had read a blog once that said 98% of the world's data was controlled by five organizations. Um, and that terrified me, right? Um, it really scared me because I come from a belief that data is the most powerful asset that people have. And if all of it's controlled by five central entities, that's not a great outlook for humanity. And in the 10 years since then, that's pretty much played out to a T, right? Like data is used to manipulate people, move Cambridge people Analytica, sure. WhatsApp. Uh. You go down the list, right? Like, and I don't need to hit all the highlights. You just turn on the news. Somebody's talking about some data privacy issue or somebody breaking some code of conduct or, you know, it's just, it's constantly becoming a big, huge pain for people. And people have now started to take notice and push on companies. And in that push, we've now seen platform players like Apple and Google make changes which have dramatically changed the economics of collecting and using consumer data. And so that's really created this hole in the market because businesses need data. And you actually want the right businesses to have the right data from you to build the products you want. But you don't want to get, like the answer shouldn't be you can just use 
like it's don't use Instagram or give up all of your data in perpetuity for them to do whatever you want. Yeah, right? it's not there's, welcome to the candy shop. <laughs> yeah, there's a like, with everything that's a gray area. There's certain things you want and certain things you don't want. And why can't we enforce those rights on the internet? And so that in that opportunity, that vacuum, that economic, it created an economic incentive for companies to want to give users something, put a value on your data. Um, and by doing so, you can now create a new world of ownership. Okay, so um, give me an example of how Tiki would work. Yeah, the example that I, I love to use, because it's just so simple, is one day when you sign up for Netflix, there'll be a little checkbox that says, in exchange for Netflix's license use and monetization of your watch data, they'd like to offer you a 10% discount. You can say yes, you can say no, right? Like that offer, it becomes a legal contract and you can say no, they're not gonna shut off Netflix for it, but you can say yes and get a discount. And so now suddenly you have power over what somebody can do with your data. And for Netflix, that means they can now go and relicense that data to say Disney, who would pay them hundreds of millions of dollars a year for that data. And so that opens up a new economic revenue stream for the business and it allows you as a consumer to actually get value for something that you're just getting taken from you. Um, what are the type of companies who Tiki is working with? Is it, you know, is it entertainment industries? Is it fashion? Is it, what are the companies that are going to be most interested in this product? Yeah. Um, we've been, we've been working with a lot of fintech apps actually, um, because they have super valuable data about consumer transaction behavior, which everybody wants to know who's spending what on where and when, right? Yeah. Um, and when I say who, it's not even like identifiable. In fact, that industry lives and breathes anonymous data. Um, it's it's de-identified information. Yeah, it's all de-identified, um, but people still want to know, right? Like imagine you're, you're running a quant firm, right? So you got all these nerds figuring out what stocks to buy and sell and when. Well, you really want to know how many cups of coffee were sold at Starbucks at that, like in the last 20 minutes, right? Yeah. So that's... Right, like there are tons of people who want that data. So we're talking, working with fintech companies. Uh, mobile gaming is a big one, right? So mobile gaming is all ad-driven revenue primarily. Um, and ads are very, very poor performing when you don't have um, what's called IDFA or the identifier for advertising. And this is how a company is able to connect your behavior across different applications to you as a profile to target you. And that makes ad performance really, really, really terrible. Right, so companies are just spamming you with nonsense ads, and so the companies are not making money in mobile gaming anymore. Um, and so by giving users, say, access to a new skin in a video game, you can get them to actually give you data. Um, and so companies value that data. So mobile gaming is another one. E-commerce is a big one. Similar problem with retargeting. Um, so if you're running ads on Instagram, you, prior to these recent changes, you were able to figure out if how those ads were performing, right? And so it's called attribution in the in the data world. Um, who saw this ad? Did they click it? When did they click it? Did, what did they buy? Right? You're able to connect an ad to the performance and outcome of the ad. But when they broke that barrier of data, companies now no longer know if their ads are good or bad, and so that costs them tons of money in marketing spend. And subsequently, they're willing to give you a discount off your next purchase in exchange for some inter information about attribution. So e-commerce, gaming fintech um, definitely media tons of media companies have, have been in contact with us about the same thing they want to know who's consuming their content when where what they're doing why are they interested right um, there's a huge world of content creators is, that is booming and analytics specifically for content creators who want to know about their audience right like who's looking at my stuff yeah. on tiktok and when and where and why and how do i reach them on other platforms and so everybody is trying to collect and use um, better information about consumers and that mechanism and how they do so broke and in there is value that can be created for end people 
Now, when are we going to see Tiki live with a company, like within a company's app? A couple weeks. A couple weeks? Yeah. Can you say who the first company is yet? No. Okay. Well, we'll be on the lookout, everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll put it on social once it's once we can officially announce it. But it, we're a couple weeks, right? Um, in March, you'll start to see some companies roll out with Tiki inside their app. So you get a little pop-up. Um, there'll be a little pineapple on it. That's our mascot is a cute little dancing pineapple. You'll see a little pineapple that's like, hey, now, I want you to tell the folks out there why exactly. the company is called Tiki, because I think this is the best part. <laughs> um, I was at a Tiki bar. Um, that was it. Like The genesis of the idea, I was sitting at a Tiki bar talking to a friend, trying to figure out this mess um, when we decided we were going to do it. And um, when you're building something for end consumers, it's it's really important that it's a brand that resonates with people, right? Um, both from a trustworthiness, but also an approachability and understanding, right? Like everybody in data is always talking in acronyms and complexities. Web3 is the same way. You make up new words for things that already exist. It's just, it gets overwhelming and too, the learning curve is too steep for a normal person. But a pineapple that's like, I got your back, right? Like it's a simple, easy brand. That I mean, who doesn't get. like pineapple? And everybody likes pineapples. It's fun. It's dancing. It's cute. It's like... Not everything needs to be some crazy acronym and scary and intimidating, right? Like data shouldn't be intimidating. In fact, companies made it intimidating because there was no value in companies and lawyers in making it easy and approachable because then people wouldn't agree to their terms, right? And so the economics influenced companies in making it complicated and burdensome. It's kind of like how they, you know, uh, had the Bibles like changed and wrote stuff in Latin. So it's like, oh, people can't read things. So it's way better if we make it complicated and nobody can understand. Sure. So I don't get that reference, but sure. <laughs> um, but um, what was I going to say? What did that out? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Uh, you want to talk more about us moving to Tennessee, Nashville? I mean, we touched it briefly, but I can talk more about that if you want. Let's talk about um, hmm. Okay, wait, I know my point. So hold on. Three, two, one. Let's talk about um, Web3 being integrated in Web2 apps, which I think is something um, really cool um, and really important for further adoption of Web3. Sure. Um, I read a statistic not too long ago that says only like 3% of the world has interacted um, on a Web3 platform. Yeah. And so you, we think about all these Web3 startups and you know we're all building these things, but I'm like, hey, only 3% of the world is on this. So um, Tiki, you don't have to, the user has to know nothing about Web3. Web3 isn't just Amelia means the technology, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked that even 3%, if you asked me, I would have thought it was 0.3%, right? Um, I I got involved in Web3 very, very early um, because, so my background's obviously in data and data structures, and I was fascinated with the idea of creating immutable chains of records um, in distributed fashion, which is a long-time hairy problem in all of the data world. Um, and so the data structure of a blockchain was always what was of interest and fascination to me. And I always viewed it as a technology layer, not an application. Um, and for, you know, we'll see if it works, but the vast majority of the Web3 world has been like, well, this Web2 world sucks. We're going to go over here and create our whole new thing. 
Um, but I used to joke, you don't invent the internet twice, right? Like we already have a thing that the vast majority of the world is using and we created this new technology that is powerful. And so how do we put those two things together to make something better? Not say, let's leave this old thing and Yeah, go these here. are not going to live yeah. a separate world. They're going to merge and integrate. Yeah, which I believe to be the inevitable outcome of all these things. Just like when we moved, for, when we moved to the cloud, for example. It wasn't like we got rid of the ideas and business models and technologies and things of the past. We evolved them and made them better um, because we had a new technology available. And so... Um, Yes, our data structure is a blockchain structure because that's how we create immutable records at high volume and high scale at ultra low costs that are signed and can be upheld in court. Um, but nobody other than us and our open source contributors know that that's how that works, right? Like our end users, they get a pop-up and they click the button. They don't have to create a wallet. They don't have to sign up for anything. They're already inside an application and the company who's adopting it doesn't even need to know anything about blockchain either, right? Like to them, they just get an API that they interact with like any other API. So they get an SDK and an API and they can treat it like any cloud service they're working with or any native mobile app they're working with. They Nobody has to really know the underlying technology um, because likewise, I would never call a company and be like, what kind of database do you use? Like, that's a weird question, right? Like, yeah, you're like what I mean, does this do for me? <laughs> I'm not calling Target to say, hey, Target, what do you do with my Circle app? Right. Um, <laughs> no, that's, um, I think that's really important um, that people realize that because I feel like so many Web3 startups lead with Web3 as like the marketing front. And it sure. should be just like any company. What problem are you trying to solve? And then is Web3 a tool to help you solve that problem? Right. At least that's that's been my approach. Um, and we'll see. Like, uh, that's not like if you can create a whole new world of applications that are wildly powerful backed by that technology and people move from Web2 to the Web3 applications, great, even more power to you, right? Like, um, but we need some way to facilitate even that transition. All right, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the Women in Web 3 podcast for Weld Recruiting. I'm Katherine Rickmeyer, and you just heard from Mike Audi, the founder and CEO of Tiki, a Nashville-based Web 3 company.